What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness. All right, welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique. We got a very special guest here, someone I've been chatting with for quite some time, uh, picking his brain a little bit on our topic today, which is velocity-based training. My man, it is it is 10 p.m. over there. He's like, no, we got to get this shit going. He he wanted to talk, and it's exciting. We've already been talking a little bit before uh, we hit the record button, and uh, I'm excited to really just kind of get to know him and you know pick his brain a little bit about this topic. So, Dr. John John Weekly, for those individuals that have no idea who you are, could you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Yeah, kill it, boys. Like, uh, yeah, if you can't tell from my accent, um, I'm a Kiwi. Uh, now living in Australia, and uh, is uh, yeah, and uh, I, was, I thought I was on mute there for a second. I'd just be a very quiet podcast for for a while. Um, but um, yeah, for a Kiwi coming from uh, living in Australia now at Australian Catholic University, and um, associate researcher at Leeds Beckett University uh, in the United Kingdom. But um, yes, background is so I was from the South Pacific, so from Christchurch City, Quakes, Quakes, the Quake Zone. So uh, yeah, grew up in Quake Zone, Christchurch, and. Uh, Moved down to Dunedin, did my um, Bachelor of Sports Nutrition. My whole life, I was like, my whole life, I wanted to be like a dietitian and all that sort of stuff. And and then I, um, yeah, then I, I, I enrolled in a Master of Dietetics over in Wollongong. That's like South Sydney. And then um, probably like um, maybe like six months into that, I was like, man, I can probably push myself a little bit harder. So I was like, yeah, what what do I have a social life? All right, been that. We'll pick up another master's and we'll do two master's at the same time. So I enrolled at the Edith Cowan University at the same time, did both master's uh, across the country. And because of like, I think there's some stuff going on with universities not liking you being enrolled in two universities at the same time. I didn't tell either of them. So I was just kind of like smashing it in the evening and smashing it in the morning. And um, yeah, and then um, fortunately I did, all, I did all right in the dietetics, but I did really well in the um, strength and conditioning one. And then uh, I realized, man, like I'd grown up 23 years, and I just wanted to be a dietitian. And then I realized that actually I didn't want to be a dietitian. I want to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, around that time, I, uh, I was like, yeah, this PhD stuff, this looks all good. Um, I was, I'll be honest, the reason I wanted to do a PhD was I, I was thinking, oh, I'll become a doctor and it'll be like real easy to pick up chicks. Um, but, but, yeah, like that's straight up. <laughs> that was like, the, that was like a lot of my thinking behind it. I thought it was going to be easy. And um I reached out to uh, I reached out to um, my supervisor over in the UK, um, and uh, asked if he had any PhD scholarships, and he took me on um, with a couple of other guys at the same time, and we ended up forming the uh, Carnegie Applied Rugby Research Centre, and uh, man, we did my PhD, did that in three years, and I did my postdoc, and then ended up over in the uh, ended up uh coming back to the south pacific to like kind of chill out on the beach for a bit man so yeah yeah i screwed up by the way i got a girlfriend just before i finished my phd so i never got to say fellas as a doctor are you <laughs> so, still yeah, with the girl so no, or is she um, gonna be like listening to this like what what why do you have a phd <laughs> get rid of it right now <laughs> yeah she's gonna ask the big questions man uh her, I'll, I'll be honest man the first time i ever met her man i like i went around to her parents place and um her father, she told me her father was real, real clever. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet. So I'd heard he did a PhD and I said, and he's Swedish and they're Swedish. And I said, um, oh, hi, like trying to make conversation. I was like, hey, mate, um, I heard you did a PhD. And he goes, 
yeah, yeah, I did a PhD and he explained to me that he was the dude who invented like nuclear medicine into what it is today, like all the x-rays and CT scans and MRIs. And then he turned to me and goes, what is your PhD? And I was like, fuck, bro. Like, I just like make teenagers jump higher. Like, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it was like a real humbling moment, man. So he was like the actual scientist, man. And I was just realized <laughs> I just watched barbells and count volume loads and kilograms and all that sort of stuff man so yeah that's pretty much me in a in a nutshell man i'm pretty obsessed with my work i'll be honest but um you know what is what is by like the pop yeah what is some of your current research that you do can you touch on that i know uh this a lot of this will be velocity-based training we'll probably refer to it a lot as vbt but adam knows a lot but what about our listeners and myself What, what are some of the research you do Honestly, um, man, I do a lot of things nowadays. Hey, like when I was at Leeds Beckett, I could just kind of, I love Leeds Beckett. Leeds Beckett was my home university in many ways. And then I moved to Australian Catholic University, which I also love now. And I I still maintain my position at Leeds Beckett and I still maintain my position at Australian Catholic University. When I was at Leeds Beckett, I had a bit more freedom. I could kind of do the hardcore resistance training research, the hardcore velocity-based training. And I got really into like how feedback could improve performance, how you could control internal, external loads, how you could, uh, you know, um, change like psychological states through um, uh, feedback and all those sorts of things. And, um, and then I come to ACU and their, their approach to research is slightly different. So Australian Catholic University, ACU, and they, uh, they have an approach that um, quality over quantity. And I've always been of the mindset that if I just do good quality always, it doesn't matter how much quantity, but they're, they're, they're very focused on the smaller numbers high quality research and some of the research i'm doing now is a little bit different than i've traditionally done i'll be honest like very like um hardcore um uh kind of like muscle protein synthesis and muscle metabolism sleep research menstrual cycle research which is really hard to do and need, we need more of because females are, are underrepresented in the research uh sports science literature at least um doing like repaired sprint training research I've, of course i've got some hardcore like fatigue VBT stuff in the pipeline. I've got some overtraining stuff going on with Shona Halson and Inigo Mahoka, who are like the two biggest names in sports science in the world, kind of like they're just unbelievable. And they just kind of took me under their wing and um, compression research. I've got some basketball research. Uh, pretty much all of this is under review at the moment. So it's, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty flat out and uh, it's not the traditional kind of like heavy, hardcore resistance training sort of stuff I grew up doing, but um. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's still good, man. I enjoy it. It's um, it's like real hardcore science now. What would you say the biggest difference for you, kind of shifting into that different type of research that you're having now? Well, like, what was the different mindset change from doing all of that? Because I'm assuming since you were really familiar with strength conditioning, velocity based training, and now having to do all this, what was that process like for you, having to learn a, a different, I guess, topic? Man, that's a good question, man. It, it was hard, bro. But like, I think. ACU, if I'd said at Leeds Beckett University, man, I'd just be smashing out tricep, superset, drop set literature all day long, you know, and, and, and that was the stuff I really grew up doing, like, you know, kind of looking at testosterone, cortisol, you know, neuromuscular responses and all that sort of stuff. But um, the thing that really pushed me into was Australian Catholic University. They said, we need more citations. We need stuff that hits really hard. We need people to read it. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, you know, I can't just like please the bodybuilding powerlifting community anymore. So um, I needed to, I needed to think a little bit broader and, um, I think VBT actually has really, really good citation rates. So like, I think I could have kept doing that. But the big thing for me was 
I wanted to support my PhD students better. I wanted to be a better supervisor. You know, I took on, I think, seven PhD students this year, took on a couple last year. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden I kind of went from doing a postdoc to kind of almost having this big fleet of PhD students. And I knew that to help my students, I needed to um, think less about me. I need to put my career on the back burner and support them. And if I support them and they do really well, we all win. You know, everyone then associates me with good work and all that sort of stuff because of my PhD students. So my PhD students come first and that was the big thing for me. I just really needed to do well by them. So that, yeah, it's a change. And hey, physiology is physiology. It doesn't matter, where, matter whether it's females, males, running, jumping, squatting, deadlifting. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. You know, we still live and breathe. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, that, that was it for me. I just the best thing about academia and and i genuinely mean this and and is and snc is working with people and the best way to work with people in academia is to work with phd students in my opinion i love it so that was that was the thing that drove drove me to kind of diversify if you will nice no that's that's a really good point because i think the more you i guess become more of a well-rounded researcher the better you're able to kind of extrapolate certain things and you can kind of put it all together uh, but i think that's the beauty of all of it but let's go ahead and talk about, you know, specifically what um, I've known you for, which is specifically velocity-based training. So could you let our listeners know what it exactly is? Um, and then, you know, specific devices that you would recommend or specific devices that actually measure velocity-based. Yeah, bro. So, um, like, we, we, we wrote a paper not too long ago. Um, it was actually sitting in like on my on my uh, table for ages, probably about two years, and I decided to release it last year just because um yeah I just wanted to get it out there. But pretty much VBT is defined as um, a training method that uses velocity to inform or enhance training practice. Now that's real vague. That's real broad and real vague. So it can be anything. It can be as little as using. Um, using feedback uh, feedback of velocity to improve the motivation of your athletes. So that's velocity-based training, straight, hands down. That, that's the most simplest form of velocity-based training. Slap a screen in front of them, away we go. You know what I mean? Or like you can go right down the other end and go um, full auto-regulated periodized res resistance training through velocity using like load velocity profiles and, you know, relative velocity loss thresholds and all those sorts of things. And you can do every single thing with velocity, or you can just provide them velocity just like for a few sets in a training sessions, like your power sets or whatever. And that, that's really realistically, that's realistically what VBT is. It's not one thing. It's a way of enhancing and augmenting your training and it can be, a, uh, it can come in many shapes and forms, you know? So I think that's the most important thing. <clears throat> Under, under underpinning velocity though um, is having accurate and reproducible results. Like I, I don't actually care if I get any velocity, but the numbers are wrong. You, you know, actually as a scientist, that really does my head in. So I'm really, really, really particular about um, the devices I use. Um, we uh, published, like I published a paper recently, like maybe like oh, in January earlier this year, so 2021 on um, the different vali uh, validity and reliability of commercially available devices on the market at the moment. That's how on SportsMed, man, I dropped a dime, man, on um, trying to trying to get that open access, man. So the readership, yeah, yeah, get your readers to <laughs> read that one because um, I need that, man, because, um, yeah, like, it, it's, it answers this whole question, man. Like, you know, this is the whole market, every single device on the market, the most reliable and 
valid devices on the market. And comfortably, comfortably, and I can comfortably say this, it's Jimware. Jimware is hands down at the moment from the literature, the best device. There's a number of reasons for that. It's because it's probably the only device that uses correction, um, like angle correction methods, but also it's a linear position transducer. Um, so the overall findings from the uh, from the paper were linear transducers are the most accurate and most reliable. The reason for that is because um, they have a direct measure of displacement. So they actually monitor the movement of the bar. Um, the reason that Jimaware is probably better than say the T-Force is because of the angle correction. And then if you can't use a linear transducer or like a coach doesn't want to use a linear transducer, the Flex also from Jimaware. So that's from like Kinetic. Kinetic is like the, the, the company that owns Jimaware and, and um, Flex. Uh, Flex is probably second equal with T-Force. Um, and then after that, it's probably like the, the accelerometers and the accelerometers um, kind of like time and time again, just haven't shown the validity or the reliability that we need to be able to um, resistance train accurately. You can maybe you can maybe get like a little bit of um, feedback from them and that might be beneficial and you might be able to motivate your athletes. But if you kind of want to go beyond that, man, you probably need a linear transducer or um, you know the laser optic um, device like Flex. So um, they're probably the ones I'd, I'd mess with. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that, that I could probably sum it up and with those three there, I think, yeah. But read that paper because it sums it up really well and it covers the validity and reliability. It gets a little technical, but um, I think the message is still there. So with myself not being super familiar with VBT research, what, what are some mm -hmm. things that go into making it valid or reliable? Oh, man, that's a broad, broad question. That's a good question, man. Like, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how I got into it. You know what I mean? Um, I remember I, I, I was reading this paper by Perea Blanco, like, bless him, this dude in Spanish. I don't know if he's going to understand this, but uh, um, he, he, was he wrote this paper and it, it just blew my mind. It just blew my mind because for the first time in history, he was showing that with velocity-based training, well, with any training, with resistance training, we can control the changes in fiber types. So he was saying with 40% uh, velocity loss thresholds, you can induce greater cross-sectional area. But you have really big changes in cross-sectional uh, cross area of type 1 fibers and actually losses in type 2 X fibers. And I was like, okay, okay, I get that. So he's doing quite a lot of repetitions. 40% velocity loss threshold is really big. It's a lot of repetitions per session. And they have changes in cross-sectional area. Now, with the 20% threshold, he showed that you could maintain those type 2X fibers to an extent and type 2A fibers and grow those, augment the size of those fibers, and you can increase strength. And I was like, whoa, hold on. So we have diverse changes depending on the velocity that we use. And that was the thing that really blew, blew me away because at that same time, I was doing a study and you can go find the study if you want. I think it was on uh, jump training and rugby players and so with hex bars and barbells. And I literally did a four-week training program with two groups, same training program. Half of them got better, half of them got worse. And I was like, far out. I, I have no explanation for why half of these guys got better and half of these guys got worse. But when you looked at that Perea Blanco study, we were, uh, they were able to say, oh, if you do this amount of fatigue, we can standard, uh, sorry, if we do this amount of velocity loss, we can standardize the fatigue. And all of a sudden things start to fall into place because 
your muscles don't have eyes. Your muscles don't know how many reps you do. They just know how fatigued they are. And the, the fatigue drives the internal response. And the internal response drives the adaptive outcome. So if you're really fatigued, you might have a different response than, say, doing highly explosive, low-fatiguing exercise. So for the first time, I was starting to go, hold up. The reason that we're getting these diverse responses in resistance training is because some people need more reps than other people, and that's okay. We're all different. Mo Farah can run a marathon. Usain Bolt, he runs a marathon, he might die. But the thing is, Usain Bolt, he runs 100 meters a lot faster than Mo Farah can. So the thing is, is that a stimulus for Mo Farah needs to have more volume. A stimulus for Usain Bolt needs to have a lot less volume. That's okay. We're all different. We should embrace these differences. So this is when I started to go, okay, by controlling how much velocity loss we have, I can start to say, I am a power athlete. I cannot tolerate as much volume as an endurance athlete. And this is when I really started delving into it, really started delving into it. And the best paper I ever did is a paper called uh, Application of Velocity Loss Thresholds. Like I think it was like sexual, metabolic, and neuromuscular responses or something. And uh, that showed that if you get individuals to train with a 10%, a 20%, or a 30% velocity loss threshold, and then you get them to go away and do whatever training they'd want. They can literally, they can do whatever training they want. We don't care. Sit on the couch for six months if they want. And we literally had one person do that. We had, had another person come back four weeks later. Didn't matter. They all did different training. And the training response, with inter the internal response after doing a 10, 20, 30% velocity loss thresholds was the exact same as the reliability within 48 hours. So what that means is it doesn't matter what, how much training you do, your internal response is dictated by the velocity loss, the proximity to failure, the fatigue you induce. Because I don't care if you can do a training program and make someone sore once, I care if you can make someone sore multiple times. I care if you can make them strong and the training program that you're prescribing is accurate multiple times. You know what I mean? Because, you know, do a training program after you've uh, had uh, 10 weeks off and do five sets of squats, you'll be limping out of the gym. After 10 weeks of that, though, you're not going to be sore. So the thing is, is that for the first time, we have, it's never been shown in resistance training history, we were able to induce the same response irrespective of their training background or their training history. And that paper was unbelievable, unbelievable. That paper doesn't get enough credit for what it did. It, it, it blows the socks off what we've done in science today, man. So, um. Bro, velocity-based training can induce the same response time and time again. And that's why we get these divergent adaptations. And as SNC coaches, I don't care if you can do something once. I care if you can do it Monday to Friday, day in, day out. That's what I care about. So and, uh, reading the one paper recently, again, the velocity-based training from theory to application, I thought that was a beautifully written paper, um, actually, you know, explaining it step-by-step step how you can utilize it and kind of giving ex specific examples for SNC coaches um, or just coaches in general. But from what you kind of said, the velocity-based threshold from 10 to 20 to 30, now, how are you, I guess, effectively profiling that athlete for the utilization of velocity-based training? So if somebody is lacking that speed, what exactly are you prescribing or what threshold are you utilizing for that individual? Yeah, so um, 
the important thing to think about is like um the enemy of like power adaptations you know those really type 2x fibers which have fast shortening velocities and cause and have high force outputs the enemy of that is fatigue and we've seen traditionally in resistance we're shots we're seeing time and time again in resistance training that if you do high volumes you have big losses in those type 2x fibers and the study by and the study by Peria Blanco showed that if you do less volume you can ensure that you lose less of those type 2x fibers so the general uh the general concept with velocity-based training for power is that we want to minimize the fatigue that we're inducing and we do that by reducing the size of the uh, percentage or the velocity loss drop off so for example if i started at 0.7 meters per second in a squat that's about 65% of your back squat. If I do a 10% velocity loss threshold, I go down to 0.63. So 0.7 minus 10% is 0.63. However, if I do a 30% velocity loss threshold and go down to 0.49, so 0.7 times what well, times 0. minus 30% is 0.49, and that's my termination set point. I induce a lot more fatigue because I've had to do more repetitions as the barbell gets slower, and I induce greater metabolic fatigue, neuromuscular fatigue, perceptual fatigue, and I have a very different response. We know that the lactate response, the metabolic response, and neuromuscular fatigue response is really small with 10% velocity loss thresholds. It's really small. Therefore, 10% velocity loss thresholds may be more favorable or strength and power adaptations. Alternatively, if I want to cause these really large hypertrophic responses, we know that that going close to or like large uh, proximity to failure is really important. Therefore, I might do a 30, a 40% velocity loss threshold. And that's going to bring the pain. I can tell you that every single day because going down into those dark places of a 30, 40% velocity loss threshold, that hurts. So what we, what we really want to do is really induce large metabolic stress, increase the volumes. So that's what how we change the stimulus. We change the internal response. Because as I said, your body doesn't know how many repetitions it does. It just knows the internal response. For a power lifter, for a 10% threshold, they might do two reps. For an endurance runner, they might do 10 reps. Hey, that's okay. One is more endurance trained. One is more strength and power trained. That's okay. We're embracing those differences. And as I've shown in my research, uh, particularly the uh, 10, 20, and 30% uh, velocity loss threshold research, you can induce very, very different adapt, uh, sorry, internal responses. Additionally, with a 10% threshold, you can keep the power higher because force times velocity. And we know that the velocity has smaller drop-off with a 10% and we can control that consistently across sessions. And that's really, really important because historically when we train, your first set is often your best and your fifth set is often the worst is because you get fatigued. So if I, traditionally when we've used percentage-based training, we would say, all right, 10 set, 10, uh, sorry, five sets of 75%. Okay, your first set might be at 75, maybe, Maybe if you're lucky, if you, if you tested it the other day really recently, but your fifth set, after you've done four sets, 
10 repetitions, that ain't 75% no more, that's like 85%. How many times have you done what NSCA prescribes of, you know, three sets of 10 at 75% for 90 seconds and really gotten yourself off the floor and managed to do five sets of 10, man, I swear down, that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a myth. You know, so the thing is, is that with VBT, we can control the external stimulus and the external stimulus drives the internal and that drives the adaptive response. And by controlling the external stimulus to be really power, high, high velocity, we can have smaller metabolic responses that improves more power responses, uh, at, sorry, power adaptation. And then going close to the failure drives more metabolic responses with, and neuromuscular fatigue responses and perceptual changes. And that causes more hypertrophic changes. Yeah, so it almost seems like, right, if you want to get stronger or more powerful, less is more quality over quantity, especially like, yeah. so what, what is, I guess, the approach if you don't have this certain equipment to give you these objective measures? How are you, I guess, subjectively or just quantitatively trying to induce the same results, but without the same type of equipment? How are you coaching through that? Or how would you recommend somebody coach through that? Yeah, no doubt. Like, well, we know we know that uh, as you get closer to the failure, there are increases in perceptual response. So let's say we use like an omni-res scale. So that's like a resistance training scale, one to 10, 10 being the hardest, one being really easy. We know that as you exercise and you do more reps and get closer to failure, you induce more fatigue and that more fatigue dry and you, you perceive it to be harder. Now, the thing is, is that it has a very, very strong relationship with velocity loss. So as you do more reps and your velocity drops, your perception increases. And we know that's a really good relationship. And therefore, things like RPE scales or differential ratings of perceived exertion, DRPE, shout out to the boy, uh, Sean McLaren, for doing all that work back in the day. But he... Um, but realistically, we know that these methods are very similar. And this is why autoregulatory methods of, uh, you know, RPE, reps and reserve, we know they work. We know they work. And it's not necessarily VBT versus RPE versus RIR. No, we're just trying to get the best outcome for our athletes. You know, it's not like me, Jay-Z, Beyonce are just chilling out with the VBT Illuminati. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like we're, we're all, we, we just... You know, we just want the best for our athletes. The th reason why I like VBT is because it's objective. And I can look at the bar and I can look at the numbers and go, oh, damn, that was a hard set. And they go, yeah, that did suck. And I go, yeah, it looks like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I also know that um, if you've got athletes who are honest and can perceive it accurately, then cool. SRP, uh, you, know, you know, rating of perceived exertion is really cool too. You know, it's never one versus the other. It's just how we can get the best outcome for our athletes. So it that is a very good example, the RPE with the velocity. Do you ever, with athletes or with your research subjects, do you ever find conflicting uh, statements? Like the the subject is saying that it's harder than what it it's actually showing or or vice versa it, it's easier than what it's actually perceiving to be yeah definitely man like definitely it's uh that's a hard one man because like like you know there's guys who are just like real tough dudes like, and, a, and tough women as well you know who you say um how is that and they're just like lying on the ground dead 
and they're like, yes, yeah, a three out of ten. And you're like, that's not ten. <laughs> you're pissing blood, blood. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, so the thing is, is like you're you, you look at them and they're just soldiers, man. They're just born for this, man. And like, like it's like the same, man. Like, I'll do I'll go in the gym and I'll be dying, but I refuse to tell people it was heavy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, or hard, you know, and I think a lot of us are because we don't want like the weight to know that we're scared of it. You know what I mean? Like, um, but alternatively, you got those guys um, and girls who have been like maybe coddled and they're just, you know, like they do three reps with 60% and you say, oh, how was that? And they're like, oh, nine, nine out of 10. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that, that's an issue with it. You know, and it's the same with VBT, you know, like if you don't try, then the numbers are going to be really low, you know, but you could say that for everything. You could say, um, why did that wide receiver drop the quarterback's pass? You know what I mean? Why did he drop it? Oh, because I didn't try and run to catch the ball. You know what I mean? Like if I don't try on the field, I'm not going to catch the ball. And therefore all I ever ask of my athletes is to try and try their best. And if you try your hardest and use intent, then that's okay. You don't need to do a whole lot of sets and a whole lot of volume. You just need to get good quality training out. So realistically, my one of my issues with people who is like, oh, percentage-based training, percentage-based training, and there are there's some pretty strong um, opinions out there, some older professors I know um, who refuse to accept auto-regulatory methods. I'm not going to put them on blast, man, because I, I value my career too much. But um, the thing say, is, man, is that... Um, you got to put them on blast because I, I, I think I know who you're trying to refer to. <laughs> Uh, actually, actually, bro, I think I think it's out your way, bro. Um, yeah, man, I do get myself in trouble, but um, like, like, I'll tell you a story in a second, actually, bro. But like, um, I uh, man, like, they say, oh, you know, VBT, you got to try on every rep. I'm like, you, your athletes don't try, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, really? like that, that's real depressing. And they're like, oh, well, they can, they could lie and they could not try very hard. I'm like, yeah, bro, they could lie and not catch a ball on the rugby field too. They could, no, they could lie and, you know, not do their rehab. It's like, you know, I just trust my athletes. I trust my athletes to work hard. And it probably says more about them as coaches that they are so paranoid about their athletes not trying. You know what I mean? And I think it's the same with, sub, like, you know, with subjective methods like RPE or RIR. You've got to have that trust in your athletes, say. Eh? You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let them believe in. Uh, you gotta believe in them, and you know that you know that they want the best for them, and they want the best for their for teammates. Um, so I guess you know one question, right? I think there's some literature out there that would say you know the subjective message. There's definitely a learning curve. So mm. I always thought, right, the velocity based training kind of takes that learning curve away, and kind of like you said, bringing the best of both worlds is kind of okay. Here's an objective measure. Can we align it with the subjective measure with RPE? Have you guys ever done anything like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Like, and I think there's like, you can use like, it's just like anything, like with RPE and RIRs and repetitions in reserve for the, those who don't know what RIRs are. Um, and VBT, mate, like there's definitely um, different ways to use them. And historically people have used RPEs before they use RPEs to, um, prescribe sets and loads they use them to monitor the training the training session you know look at foster's work look at mike mcguigan's work look at day's work and all those sorts of guys and they just kind of show that you know oh okay 
a bigger, higher volume session had a higher RPE. Like nowadays, they'd be like, oh yeah, obviously. But back in the day, that was really that was really novel and that was actually important. You know, so the thing is, is um, you could use RPE to you know rate the entire session. And we also know that there's issues with that because if you do a thing like, and if you, you know, and we also know that you can times it by duration and get SRP, sessional rating of perceived exertion. We know there are issues with that because if you do things like, um, if you do a tricep superset, so a lot of my PhD was involved in tricep supersets, we know that the duration drops rapidly. And if you multiply duration times um, the intensity of the session, uh, then you end up with really low sessional RPEs, but this, the participant finds it really hard because they have, they've got like no breaks, you know what I mean? So, you know, you can you can do things like that, but realistically, there's no reason why you can't do, okay, VBT to, to help you help you find the load that you should be training at, or at least the, 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 the range you should be working in, and then using RPE to maybe go, okay, I want to get five reps and then go down as far to two uh you know eight rpe or go down to a two rir or whatever like that you could you can bring those methods together it just depends on how you want to do it you could provide yourself feedback and you know have rpe you know use an eight rpe a nine rpe seven rpe and really kind of try and push the limit with your rpe but be getting augmented feedback and have improved motivation and competitiveness so there's different ways you can bring them together it's just um how you want to do it I genuinely think some of the best ways to use VBT is the simplest ways, you know, just providing yourself feedback, really going for it, getting the load right, and just motivating yourself to try on every single rep. Because I know when I went into the gym um, today, like I wasn't trying my hardest. It was because I had no one to like judge me. And, and I know that if I got numbers in front of me telling me I've got to try harder, then that's cool, man. I, you know, that, that's motivating for me. It's motivating for a lot of people. And actually, and on that, if you've got a really intrinsic motivated person, you can do, uh, you know, just feedback in front of them. Yeah, if you've got extrinsic motivation, you can give them verbal feedback. And if you've got someone with low social, um, low low conscientiousness, so that, you know, they're just cruisy dudes, you know, you might need a coach motivating them. And, you know, we showed that, we showed that with the paper, Show Me, Tell Me, Encourage Me. You know, that, that paper really showed that, you know, different people like different types of feedback. And that's cool, you know, and that, that, that was really resistance training based work. So, mate, I think um, you can definitely bring them together, bro. You def definitely, definitely can bring them together. And it just it just depends on what you want, what you need, and um, how you want to do it, for sure. Yeah, so I always thought, you know, reading a couple of those papers, that you know, the psychology, the psychological methods of velocity-based training, showing somebody an objective measure is probably really powerful, um, especially when you're, like you said, training solo, because it's like, I got to beat that number. I got to beat that number. I got to maintain that number with this external load on my back. Um, so again, it gives you some, you know, motivational aspect in that. So when an individual does right, we're trying to have this an auto-regulatory method, right? If somebody walks in, they're not feeling their best. What are other ways that you are assessing your athlete's readiness before they even step on the platform for velocity-based training? Yeah, well, that's, that's the cool thing about velocity-based training, my brother. Like the thing is, is, we know that the load velocity profile is really consistent across time. So, okay, so let's say you and me go do some squats. And I'm going to just use squats because it's the probably the most common exercise people do. And we, we know that uh, the load velocity profile is consistent. So let's say I'm going to go in, I'm going to work at, and I know that 65% corresponds to 0.7 meters per second. We just know that from my load velocity profile. 
Well, the cool thing is, is that let's say I'm having a really good day. I'm really on. And then on Friday, my girlfriend breaks up with me. My world turns to pieces. Or it turns out I'm a pretty terrible researcher. And people, everyone, well, everyone realizes I'm a terrible researcher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then in my, you know, like my dog gets lost and, you know, nothing's in the fridge, man, all that sort of stuff. Like, I just have a bad sleep, all that stuff, man. And then um, I got to go train on Saturday morning. I got to do more squats. Well, guess what? If I use percentage-based training and I'm supposed to be doing 100, you know, let's say 70% is 100 kilograms or something. I don't know, 220 pound. And then let's say, so let's say I've got to get under that bar and I've had no sleep. You know, I'm like depressed because my girlfriend's left me and I'm sleeping on the couch in my mate's house. I, I, you know, trust me, that 100 kilograms, 220 pound is going to feel really, really heavy. And the cool thing about velocity-based training is that you can find the number that corresponds with 70% of your 1RM. So let's say, yeah, so let's say it was, um, your 65% was 0.7, sorry. So, so let's say um, you can find the number that corresponds to 65% of your 1RM, which is 0.7, put that load on the bar and have a good training, no matter what. You can find the load that corresponds to the 1RM. So we know that consistently, I can train at the right intensity that I prescribed. And now that's an issue with, uh, with percentage-based training was that you test like a week ago and then your girlfriend breaks up with you and the bar crushes you. You know, so that was the issue. You know, we've all had bad days. We all have them and that's okay. You know what I mean? So the, th the issue is, is that I hated being a coach who would prescribe something and know that the moment they left the gym, it was going to be wrong because everyone was going to go do different things. So the best thing that I did with VBT to assess my athletes and their readiness was I'll just go, hey guys, we're going to train at these velocities today. So I would just prescribe the load and I would say, also, here's a velocity that you should be hitting. If your first repetition isn't in this range, put more weight on or take more weight off, depending if it's light or heavy. So that was a really easy way we went about our training. And that's a real simple and obvious way to test and ensure that our athletes are training at the right intensity because training and testing should be the same thing. You know what I mean? Alternatively, some things that we've mucked around with was um, we've done uh, a jump before every session with the barbell. So as they're warming up, let's say, um, like all my guys can squat over 60 kilograms, what, like 140 pound-ish or something around there. So, you know, everyone can do those sorts of weights. And when you say, all right, boys, here's the load. You know, today, can you just make sure you do three fast reps at 60 kilograms? And I'll be tracking their, uh, you know, you know the, the speed of the bar, the mean velocity of the bar. And I'd go, okay, okay, let's hear You know, if it's down, I'd be like, okay, we're going to take 5% off your training load today. If it's higher than where it traditionally is, I'd be able to say, hey, they're stronger than what they were. Therefore, let's put a little few more kilograms on. And I could just test them every single session like that. So there are a range of ways we test them, man. But on top of that, bro, like just like you can do with the subjective stuff, some of the most important things is um, asking them how they are. You know what I mean? I, if, bro, like I remember I went in, I'm from Christchurch, as I said, man, Quake City. So I I went into the Crusaders. The Crusaders are the most successful franchise rugby team of all time. They're just unbelievable. They've won the last five competitions, like like super rugby, unbelievable. It's like the Packers just losing their minds and winning every year for half a decade. It's insane. You know what I mean? So the thing is, is like this team is the epitome of rugby and I walked in there I was finishing my PhD I'm all in my England kit because I'm real proud of the you know I'd, I'd made it out of Christchurch and doing all right for myself and 
seeing my family again. And I was like, oh yeah, so what's your like, how are you monitoring your boys using force plates, using like, you know, like lasers or like force strain gauges? And they're like, oh no, bro. Oh, we just asked them how they are. Cause and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That too, that too, <laughs> you know? And it was like, it was just it's simple, man. We just asked them how they are. And if you've got a relationship with your boys, then um, they'll, they'll, they'll answer, you know, they'll answer honestly. You know, if you're working with, if you've got female athletes and they respond in a different way, like get to know them and that's cool too. You know what I mean? I've been, um, I've, I've worked with a range of athletes and I, you have to communicate with them differently, but if you can nail that communication, you'll be fine. So you can use the VBT just to monitor them when they're training to make sure the load is correct. But you can also just, you know, use that subjective stuff to go, hey, what's going on? I'll tell you a couple of, one other thing though. Uh, the number of like bigger conversations I've had because of VBT is like un, unreal. Like, you know, your athletes roll in, you've got 45 boys and um, they're all like 23 and stuff like that. I'm like a short dude. So I'm like standing up on a box, like shouting out at them all so I can see across the gym and all that. Like I'm not like seven foot or nothing. So the thing is I'm like shouting at all the lads and I'm looking at this iPad and I can see that that 100 kilograms or that 150 kilograms is moving slow. And normally that guy should be rocketing through those loads. And I'll just be, oh, oh sup, bro, how are you going? And he'll be, oh, yeah, man, just yeah good man good and then i'll be like oh the velocities are low today and he'll go yeah yeah just just not feeling good and then there'll be something going on at home or going on in the field with a coach or you know they'll have a niggle or something and the number of injuries the number of relationship things i've caught just from having conversations based off the velocities bro like unbelievable man unbelievable but it's obvious man because the velocities are going slow they're feeling pretty rubbish alternatively you see guys just loving life and just smashing out the weights and you can see them enjoying it they don't need the conversation man they're already hooping and hollering so now would you agree with this statement though that velocity-based training is the training of the future like i've always said that like i think this is something that can take over and should take over for a lot of those professional and collegiate athletes um and hopefully even sometimes high school uh, because like you said, right, you're developing those relationships, you're having those conversations. More importantly, right, you're developing, I think, an educational matter that you don't always have to crush yourself because anyone can crush you, right? That's not training. That's just a workout, right? It's, it's a, there's a difference between a training plan and a workout plan. And I think, again, velocity-based training gives you an objective way to quantify this is a training program that works for our athletes. Hmm. Mm, definitely mate and it's like it's funny man because like there's some sports which i know are very tempo based so for example rowing rowing works at a set cadence cycling is the same you know you've got to turn your legs over at a certain speed for a certain period of time or in other words they've got to be traveling at a certain velocity for a certain period of time and you kind of go man this this like type of training where you target a velocity so it mimics the sport, man, that's hands down. It's like common sense. We always talk about specificity. We always talk about, oh yeah, you know, like you got to get real strong because like, you know, they're heavy dudes on the field or, you know, you got to get real fast because the girls out on the court are just wickedly fast or they're just rapid or, you know, and you go, oh, you know, like Franz Bosch, I got to like do this like Romanian lunge into a triple backflip, you know, cross, you know, Ollie, you know, Stiffy, whatever, man. Like, you know, and you, you talk about these kind of like crazy exercise and everyone just loses their mind when they get to velocity. They're like, nah, fuck it, strength. 
You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, for real? Like, bro, you, your takeoff velocity is like, what, 3.2 meters per second on a slow day? And the thing is, is then you've got guys training at 0.32 meters per second and hoping that they're going to jump higher? Not a chance, bro. Not a chance. You can only, like, you need to produce force, but you need to be able to produce force at a high velocity, which is power. And power is really related to jump height for example so for example so it's just common sense to be able to train the velocity of your sport and i absolutely agree that realistically we need to get away from this concept of just like strength you know and i um, and i'm sorry to say it and i think i think the us is getting better at this but strength training like heavy squats and like you go into the ncaa environments and they're just just gone for it and they're just like yes man that dude is squatting 500 pounds but realistically if he could we have like spent some of that time not squatting 500 pounds and being like more explosive or like being faster you know what i mean or jumping higher or maybe doing some plyometrics because you know once you're squatting 200 kilograms like you know for a, like a high jumper how much how much stronger do they need to be you know what i mean like it's a very fast activity so um yeah, I think it just makes sense to target the velocities that you should be training. You know what I mean? It's just common sense. It's just, it's like the basics we learn in first year university. It's like basics that we learn in high school about exercise specificity, you know, train the speed that we want to be better at. We've seen it time and time again. So for velocity-based training or just using that variable in general, is there a way, I guess, or something that allows you to see if someone's deficient in a certain specific area, like if they should focus on strength, if they should focus, uh, from the sounds of it, it really just takes all the guesswork out of it. And it really just hit these velocities. And like you said, just take off some kilograms or add some kilograms if needed. Uh, or are there any, anything else that we're not really touching on? Yeah, man. Like, I, th- I think it's a tricky one. Like, I th- like the basic principles of physics still apply. You know what I mean? Like, you still got to be strong. You still got to be fast. You still got to be powerful. You still got to do all that. You still got to have large amounts of cross-sectional area to be able to produce more force. You know, all those basic con- concepts. So, basic periodization, and you know, that's a wider topic that we could. Right, we'll, we'll have a whole podcast on that one too. You know what I mean? But the thing is, is that, you know what I mean? But like, I think with VBT is. Um, the basic concept is that VBT fits into these concepts, you know, these periodized models. You still need to be fast. You still need to be strong. You still, still need to be powerful. You still need to have large cross-sectional area. The thing is, is it just helps you prescribe at the load better and prescribe the appropriate volumes. If you're an endurance guy, you might need more reps. If you're a, if you're a power athlete and you don't have good endurance, you might need less reps, but that's okay. The stimulus is the same. And realistically, we can target strength adaptations specific to that individual when we profile athletes it's a little bit harder because is there an it's hard to know whether there's an optimal profile for a sport particularly like you know gridiron or nfl or whatever you know american football the reason is is because some dude who's 300 pounds got smashed into your legs from the side so realistically like what like what's the optimal profile to get smacked inside the head like fuck i don't know like you know so the thing is is that um you know, we're just trying to get them as big and strong and powerful as possible. And that's a real basic concept. That's real basic for me. Just trying to, you know, get them big, get them then strong. And then we really focus on that power. 
and we can just use VBT to prescribe that a little bit better. You can get a good understanding of their muscular endurance, I should add though, with VBT, because if we set them at a set velocity and we say do as many repetitions until you drop below a velocity loss threshold, the guys who are more muscular, have greater muscular endurance will last longer. And that's why like when I went over to the States and I started doing things with um, uh, CrossFit boxes, you know, so, you know, you go in there and they're really, they train really hard, but the thing is they smash themselves day in, day out. And that's probably not necessarily the best way to train. So what we what we got them to do was we said, okay, we're going to get you to train between speed A, which is the load you started with. And then you've got to stay above, let's say 0.4 meters per second. Once you get to 0.4 meters per second, you've got to re-rack the bar, grab a break and then do more reps. And we started increasing muscular endurance like that at a set at a set velocity. So um, that was really effective too. It meant that they weren't as fatigued, and we ended up getting really good muscular endurance adaptations without um, hammering them. So yeah, you can you can get a good understanding of your athletes, but realistically, is there an ideal profile for an for an athlete? I don't know. But the thing is, is that um, guys like JB Marin and sort of stuff has done some horizontal and vertical uh, profiling um horizontal force velocity profiling but vbt is kind of like a step removed from that we kind of use that for our prescriptive and monitoring purposes rather than kind of like optimizing profiles and all that sort of stuff you can get an understanding of their load velocity profile which is really important you can understand if they're maybe more velocity dominant or more force dominant but realistically um whether there truly is an optimal profile that's a that's a wider more biomechanical physics based conversation now, I guess to, you know, wrap this up, what was the most challenging thing or uh, I guess uh, obstacle from kind of developing and getting into more of this velocity-based training? And what is your, I guess, still the ultimate goal of trying to get this out there is velocity-based? Because it seems like it's still, you know, it's there, but I think the overwhelming, I guess, negative thing I get from it is like, hey, it's expensive. I can't afford that. Or some people even say, hey, I don't know if it's valid or reliable. And I'd rather just, like you said, just ask my my players and my clients how they're feeling, and we just roll from that. Yeah, for sure, man. So the thing about the validity and reliability is we know that validity and reliability are many different things. It means many different things. So, for example, you can have a valid and reliable piece of technology. The gymware is highly valid. It's highly reliable. So we know the numbers we're being given. You can be thinking about the external load, the forces, velocities, the powers. You can kind of go, okay, if I'm prescribing a load, is it truly the load that I prescribe? For example, if I prescribe 75% today, is it going to be 75% next week or next month at the end of the mesocycle when you've hopefully gone stronger with percentage-based training? No, we know that's not, we know it's not accurate because we get stronger across the mesocycle. Well, velocity-based training accounts for these changes. We train at the velocity that we want. Additionally, has percentage-based training ever been able to induce a fatigue response and then reliably get an individual to come back six weeks later, end of the mesocycle, six months later, doesn't matter, and have the same fatigue response? Not in your life, son. Not in your life. We know that with velocity-based training, you can do that. We've shown it time and time again. We've shown it with big groups of athletes. So we know it's valid. We know it's reliable. We know that if an athlete goes away, comes back, they have the same external response. 
we know that within session, we can have the exact same power outputs consistently. We showed that in one of our studies that on your first set, you do you, you use 10% velocity loss threshold, a 20% velocity loss threshold, or 30%. Well, if you do it your first set and then your third, uh, fifth set, well, guess what? The Newtons change by something like zero. The power, the peak power of something like 3,500 changed by about 11. That's just noise. That's noise, mate. That's, that's, that's technological error. That's nothing. So, you know, but when we do percentage-based training, we have big reductions in power output as the session goes on because they get fatigued. The hardest thing for me to get across, though, and get this accepted, this gen general concept, even though it makes sense, and you can sit here and explain it, you can give the paper, you can give paper after paper after paper, you can explain it. You can under, you can explain to an individual, oh, as you get as you do exercise, you get tired. Oh, as the bar gets heavier, it goes slower. You know, you can explain about terminal velocities. You can explain everything, but then you still got those dudes who turn around and go, yeah, fuck it, three times ten, and you're like, bro, did you just not hear me at all? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and like, like honestly, I like, honestly, I still got those dudes who just go, yeah, 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 definitely, but like. The NSCA textbook says 10 reps is good for hypertrophy. And you're like, what? Like, you, you know, like, but that guy's an endurance runner. He, he runs marathons. And this guy's a Polynesian powerlifter. He lifts like 300 kilograms on his back. But he only does it twice. You know what I mean? And you're kind of like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, get him to do 10 reps. That'll be sweet. Like, no way, man. That's going to kill the dude. You know what I mean? You'll break athletes like that. So we're trying to get them to embrace him like heterogeneity. So the hardest thing is getting people to break out of that mindset of, hey, I read this in a textbook that was invented in the 70s or whatever, or I heard this from my tutor back in 2000, or you know, when I was coming through university, this is what we got told. Don't get me wrong, it works, that works. Percentage-based training works, and it's not, it's not a bad thing. I still use it. But the thing is, is that if I want to be correct and I've got to take care of my athletes, no way am I just going to leave things to chance. It's getting people to say, okay, there's an issue with what we're doing, acknowledging this issue, accounting for it, and moving on. So probably the other big thing would be saying, another way to look at it would be going, I've worked with rugby players like for a decade now, and we have these GPS units on their back, and we have these satellites that fly around the world launched from the United States. And we've also got the Russian ones. So we've got all these satellites flying around the world and they are triangulating these dudes running around on a rugby field. And I can monitor every single stride they're doing through the accelerometers. I can monitor every single distance they go in the, uh, on the rugby field. I can monitor their speed. I can monitor the instantaneous speed. I can monitor average speed. I can monitor accelerations, decelerations, everything. And then we go into the gym and we say, sick, three times eight. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? And like, bro, like, honestly, like, man, I remember being my PhD being like, oh, what are we doing? Three times 10, oh, okay, cool. I'm like, oh shit, I'm running out of fingers. You know what I mean? Oh man, I'm gonna to to take off my shoes and start counting on my toes soon. You know, it's just like being a gym monkey because I'm just such a metalhead. I can't think for myself. You know what I mean? I'm like, so for me, it's like just getting them to go, hey man, some of these guys are different and some of these guys need slightly more volume and some of these guys need slightly less volume, but that's okay. We're all different and embracing these differences.
because we know we're different and that's okay. That's okay. We just need to know these things and just getting people to understand it. Just getting them to go that, hey, eight reps for you isn't eight reps for me because you're more strength oriented or more endurance oriented and that's okay. So yeah, getting people to embrace those differences, that's the hard thing. Now, I guess, what is, <clears throat> what is the ultimate goal of trying to, I guess, process that or educate your athletes, the general public, through the principle of individuality, like what is the next steps that you would have through either velocity-based training? And I would even say RPE, like, cause we know, or there's the one study with Sh uh, Schoenfeld and Kratera is that, right. If we give somebody a 75%, somebody can do eight and somebody can do 35 reps. Like the, it, it varies so much. Yeah. That's wild, man. Hey, like, man, there's, there's over, you know, in those NSCA tables that we're, we're given, you know, like 75% equals 10 reps, there's 400% variance in those tables. So some person can do six, someone can do 24. You know, so that means if you prescribe 75%, someone is so far in the hole that they've like died four times. You know what I mean? It's like doing a double life sentence. You know what I mean? You know, like, so, so that's nuts. But then you got another dude and they've got 24 reps in them. And they do 10 and they're like, coach, there's nothing. There's not even halfway through my set. So realistically, the fastest way to educate people is just give them the, just give them the velocities. Just get them used to it. So as they go, oh, okay, push up the barbell, the numbers, sorry, from the barbell, go, go higher. And they go, oh, okay, I'm getting a feeling for this, just like you do when you're learning anything. The thing about this, I always say, if I explained velocity-based, if, if we didn't have percentage-based methods, and I just, we'd always just use velocities. And I turned around and gave someone a percentage of their 1RM. They would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yo, but I'm, I'm more tired today. Why would I be doing something I did four weeks ago? You know what I mean? Everyone would be, changed, would be saying something different from what we currently say. It's just that we got taught something different to begin with. So what we, you know, and, you know, we don't need to be confrontational about it. We're just trying to help people get stronger and bigger and faster. And realistically, we're not solving cancer. You know, so the thing is, is that we need to, we need to also put it in context. So you say, okay, here's the velocity. Hey, knock yourself out, man. Do three sets of 10 at 80% or whatever. Like, you know, just bury yourself, look at the numbers and, you know, and people will start to go, oh yeah, the barbell goes slower as I exercise because I'm getting more tired and they just start to ingrain it and they start to incorporate it and understand it a little bit. You know what I mean? So that, that's probably the fastest way I can really, um, educate people on it no i totally agree something that you know i i don't have the luxury of having an actual vbt equipment um especially with a lot of my online clients but something very similar what i've done is uh, rpe stop so say hey you have 50 reps i don't care how many sets it takes but after every set stop at a rpe seven or an eight um and just let me know how many sets it kind of gets in we can kind of that's a very good in my opinion objective way to say hey you're getting stronger last week it took you four four sets to get 50 reps this week is only taking you three. So again, we're building something, I think on that educational aspect of, Hey, we don't have to kill ourselves, but train at this minimal yeah. dose effect. So Dr. Weekly, absolutely. this was, this was a great conversation. Um, how we like to usually end these conversations is if you could give us three books that you would say most influenced you as a person in your life, as a researcher, whatever it may be, what are your top three books? Yeah, man, it's um, just a real hard one, man, eh? Like, uh, without getting into religion or that, being a Pacific Islander, naturally, man, but, um, but I, th I think realistically we've got The Power of One, 
by Bryce Courtney. That was a real big one growing up. You know, that's a that's a uh, someone who, I don't know if it's was big in the UK, but he was a South African author who uh, moved to Australia. So that was a big one for me. I remember reading that when I was real young, and that was a big one. But um, I think as well as that, there's um, there was the textbook by Louise Burke. That was my first textbook I ever bought, bro. I used to get so hyped, man, over that textbook, bro. I was like I want to be a dietitian so bad. And now, now she's my colleague. You know, all I wanted to do was grow up and be a sports scientist and work with athletes and nutrition. And now I'm very fortunate to work at the same university as her. Yeah, I remember the first time I met her, man. She was coming out of the Australian Institute of Sport, and um. I was coming down. I'd been flown down to present on a, on a topic at the Australian Institute of Sport, and I saw her like from like 50 meters away. Man, I was wearing my glasses clearly. So I mean, and I ran 50 meters. Man, I'm like a Polynesian dude, like, and I'm just like running at this. I'm running at this research of this really highly esteemed professor, and you could see in her eyes just a tear, like the fear of God was in her eyes as as I was running at her, and I just wanted to get her uh, autograph, man, because I grew up just admiring her. She's awesome. Um, the other, the other one was um, a, a book. Uh, the I know this sounds really lame, bro, but um, another another textbook. It was actually um, Tudor Bomper's, um, you know, periodization book. That was the book that really made me sit down and go, "Hey, I can be a sports scientist and strength and power." You know what I mean? You know, do you want to know the biggest joke that there's universities out there that pay me to talk about lifting barbells? I'm like, oh, bro, if you guys have got this twisted, man, like this ain't a job, man. This ain't a job. Like, you know, so that was um, when I realized I was reading that book. I remember on my like a Christmas holiday one day, I sat down. I just read it every single day at the beach when I was like at university. Oh, man, it was that was a game changer for me. So, yeah, to be put on the spot, mate. Yeah, the power of one Louise Burke's textbook about um, nutrition. And uh, I still got down my bookcase. And Tudor Bomper's periodization book. They, those, those three, yeah, just, just realized that like a young kid from the South Pacific could, uh, could do research and could be a good strength scientist. Hey man, it's inspiring uh, seeing just the papers and now finally having a conversation with you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, for our listeners as well, where can they find you and how can they find your papers if they need a, you know, brushing up on v- velocity-based training? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to do some like sh- shameless plugging here, man. So I think um, <laughs> that's all good, brother. Um, I think um, yeah, the easiest place to reach me is uh, Twitter. You know, Twitter. Twitter's um, like I'm not a big social media user. Um, you know, it's, it's just not who I am. But in saying that, I I, I do use Twitter occasionally, um, and uh, actually pretty frequently. I'll like check on it you know, and things like that. And if someone messages me, I'll try and get back to them for sure. I'll always try and get back to you. Um, my email address, so just type in my name um, and I will get back to you by email as well. Um, and probably the big thing is, is like if you're interested in strength and conditioning, if you're interested in strength, power, muscle hypertrophy, getting stronger, VBT, percentage-based training, it doesn't really matter. I'm down for it, man. I just like research which supports an individual to be able to better themselves and that, you know, that strength and conditioning space, man, just hit me up, man. Like come and come and research with us and, you know, in Southeast Queensland, it's sunny year round, man. It's dope. It's, it's awesome over here, man. All I got to um, say is, you know, yeah. postdoc, you, you better have a spot waiting for me, man. That's all I got to say. Yeah, bro. Yeah. 
<laughs> man, no, you just let me know, man. I got that funding, bro. I'll get that sorted, bro. Like that's the it's uh it's all good. We've got a great system over here. You know, we we have things called research training program stipends, and they, you know, all our students are all, all my all my students. I've got a big belief that all my students need to get paid. First of all, they need to have a livable wage. They need to be able to do to be able to do good research, they need to get paid. And we put it through the institutes. And that's tax free. It's like it's like above board. It sounds real sketchy, but no, it's, it's like it's like it's legit. Like it's a legit thing. So all our students, all my students, you know, they all they all live on a comfy wage. They all can, you know, they can put some money in the bank each week, and um, you know, we just get down, we just socialize, we go down to the pub, have a few beers, and we, you know, we hang out together and just do good research together. It's um, it's a good environment. I'm really lucky to be back in Australia, you know. So it's uh, yeah, I've always got time for um, PhD students. Appreciate it, man, Doctor Jonathan Weekly. That's the man himself. All the way, man. It's it's getting late over there, so we got to let the man go so he can rest up and you know not get so fatigued and have to you know take off some kilos on that velocity based training that he's about to go do. So. My man, it's a pleasure. We appreciate you. We'll definitely have to have you back on uh, for another topic relating to, you know, the new uh, research that you're coming out with. But it was definitely a pleasure. And that is All the Smoke with Jonathan Weekly on Velocity-Based Training. Cheers, guys.